Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Dr. John Sheehan, good morning. Morning, PJ. Why does this happen, John? There is really a sense of deja vu, PJ, particularly when it's in the middle of August. And I think there's probably a couple of reasons. First of all, I think with the pandemic, there is a pent-up um, sort of undiagnosed illnesses that are out there from people who weren't presenting or things were cancelled or delayed. And that's beginning to work its way through now. The second reason, I think, is a big more fundamental challenge in the sense that our system really isn't fit for purpose in terms of our population where our over 80s are doubling in the next 20 years. And we have a hospital system that really was designed for about 100 years ago or a healthcare system that was designed for 100 years ago where everything is based around the hospital. So if I see someone, as I did yesterday, PJ, who was chest pain, they go to A&E. If someone falls and breaks their leg, they go to A&E. If someone has pneumonia, they go to A&E. Everything goes to A&E, you know, fundamentally. And that seems to be the, the main access to the healthcare system. And really, we really need to change that. And I remember Colin Henry saying this a couple of months ago. You know, we need to move away our system where it's focused around a building and a hospital because they can't cope. And if we continue doing this, it's going to get worse as our elderly population no, I know. Well, why they, is it? Why is it, John, that everything does seem to be funneled? And I use that word deliberately, funneled into the emergency department. There has to be a better way to do it. There absolutely has has, uh, has to be a better way. And there is, you know, they, I, I have I have school seventeen years, PJ, and I have seen some huge improvements in healthcare service in some aspects of healthcare. For instance. In the mental health services, and I know they have their challenges, but the home-based crisis team is one of those services that has made a huge difference. The number of people I've had to refer to St. Michael's unit now in the Mercy Hospital, I think one person in four to five years. And that's because they put an alternative service that is, is, is as good, if not better, than what was there beforehand. So you could refer someone, they could be seen very urgently in their own home, there was a whole team, they were supported. It was a, It's a really, really good service. So that's a service, an example of a service that came in, made a big difference and continues to make a big difference. 
but it required a lot of work. It required a lot of funding. It required a lot of new posts, and it required, you know, a good structure that was put in place. Unfortunately, we don't have a similar one with the, you know, with regards to A&E. We have medical assessments units in CUH, which are really good, but very often they're just swamped, and if they're swamped, then the patient has to go to A&E. So we even need alternative structures that you can send people in if someone, for instance, the chest pain clinic is one. Uh, a breast, the breast clinic is really, really good, and that's, that's slightly different than A&E. But when you have really, really good alternative services, then people don't go to A&E with these. And we need an awful lot more of them. And we we need to start doing it. And we need to start doing it. It's a bit like the climate emergency yesterday, PJ. We, if we don't start doing this, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Back in the 80s stroke 90s, a number of different EDs were phased out or shut down in this city. At the time, and I remember the politics of the time, people said this will come back to bite you. Is it coming back to bite us? I don't think we need necessarily more A&Es because they'll just act as... Or more ways to get into the system, John. More ways to get, absolutely, to get into the system. So if you look at things like, say, the Mercy Urgent Care Centre, that works really, really well. It's very defined. It does what it does. It sees acute injuries. And it works really, really well. So we need more things like that. We need more ways of getting into the system. I know the HSC now are beginning to look at these sort of teams um, where we have assessment, uh, elderly assessment teams, frailty teams, falls risk teams to try to prevent uh, people having to go into hospital, but also when they are in hospital and when they go home that there's much more support because sometimes what happens to people, people, PJ, they're in hospital for a long time, then they're going home, they may get home help, um, you know, for a couple of hours a day, and there's a huge shortage of that, and that's all they get. And we need an awful lot more of those supports. The one single biggest intervention in healthcare that makes the biggest difference is home help hours. It's the number one thing that keeps people at home longer and keeps people in their community where they want to be longer. So really, we need to start grasp, grasping some of those things because this is just going to get worse and worse, and you're going to be onto me and onto others over the winter and over the next couple of years unless we fundamentally change these systems. And one of the things... One of the common critics of doctors, one of the common criticisms of doctors, GPs like yourself, John, and I wanted you to, to address it, is that GPs are now sending everybody automatically to the ED. Would you accept or reject that? I, I'd reject it, really, because really, there's some, some patients have to go directly to A&E, um, you know, if they fall and break their leg or whatever. But... Generally speaking, nobody wants to go to A&E. No one wants to be sitting there for hours. No one wants to go through the stress and all the anxiety of that. So, you know, we had to send one person yesterday via ambulance to A&E, and that would be very unusual. The vast majority of people want to stay at home. They do not want to go to A&E. If they can avoid it by going to outpatients or x-raying or some other mechanism, they certainly um, um, will do. So people, people generally don't want to be in doctors' waiting rooms. They don't want to be in A&E. They want to stay out in their community. And older people in particular do mm. not want to go to hospital. I've had you know, the arguments with some elderly people who had to go to hospital who just did not want to go because of the fear of all the things that may happen to, to them. So, you know, people want to be out in their community and we need to restart reconfiguring our health service. Um, in Cork here, PJ, we need an elective hospital. There's no two ways about it. It's all a bit of a fudge at the moment. They're talking about a day procedure hospital then as opposed to an elective hospital and then are you going to keep the other hospitals um, open? 
So we really need to get our heads around that. And, and, and the, the harsh reality is you need more ways into the system because not, thousands of people, if I've spoken to one person, I've spoken to a thousand people over the last God knows how many years doing this job, and they all say the same thing. Once you get in, the service is great. It's getting in is the problem. Yeah, that's fundamentally it. And it has been done in other aspects of the health service. The home-based crisis team, that's done it. Other bits of the service, the geriatric service is really, really good. Um, you know, so we have done it in other aspects of the healthcare system. We just need an awful lot more and we need to grasp the reality of it because if this is mid-August and you're quoting those figures now, you can imagine what it's, what it's going to be like in the middle of winter. I'd rather not, as I imagine you would too. Dr John Sheehan, thank you very much. Let me go to uh, Fine Gael TD, Colin Bork. Colin, good morning to you. We could, we, could, we could play back, I beg your pardon, that's line three, I'm going to, sorry lads, uh, release two and take three. Colin Bork, we could have this conversation and play a loop tape for the last 20 years. Here we go again. Good morning. Good morning, absolutely. And I mean, I would agree with what um, Dr. John Sheen has said there. There are huge challenges there. There's an increasing population. There's an increasing elderly population. For instance, we have 720,000 people over 65 now. By 2030, which is not that far away, we will have a million people over 65. Therefore, there will be new challenges. And um, I don't think we're we're um, adapting fast enough to meet those challenges. And in particular, I would agree with him in relation to Sloan to Care and the proposal for the elective hospital in Cork. What's being talked about is a, a day facility, which means that there's a huge lot of people will not be able to use that kind of facility, say someone who is underlying heart conditions and they go in for minor surgery, they won't be able to use that kind of facility. Likewise, someone with diabetes. So I don't think there's um, um, realistic thinking going on in relation to what Cork now requires. Um, and the population of Cork has increased by over 130,000 in the last 25 years, um, but without any increase in real terms of any new facility. Mm. And yes, I know there's a lot of procedures now where before it required, say, two or three day admission. There are no daycare procedures, but that still doesn't meet the challenges of the mm. growing population or the growing elderly population. I have a, a, a table in front of me, uh, column that just bears uh, focus on for a moment. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm throwing this out to all of our political representatives, not just your good self. Uh, Fine Gael, of course, been in government several times over the last God knows how many years, 30 years. Same with Fianna Fáil, they've all been in government. Let's have a look. Back in 1980, per 100,000 population, okay, Ireland had 425 acute hospital beds. In 2014, we had 240. All right. 240. In 2010, so 80 to 2010 is 30 years, with 256. So from 1980, when we had 425 per 100,000, to 30 years later in 2010, with 256. Like, that's not the direction you want those numbers to be going, Colm. No, and you see, this is the problem. While on the one hand, you take in the 80s and the 90s, there was a big move on because a lot of things were going to daycare procedures. It didn't take into account that there was going to be a growth in population. You take, for instance, you know, between 2012 and 2020, the number of people working in this country increased by 400,000. 
you know, sort of population increase dramatically, but we didn't. We increase. didn't bring that. We didn't bring the capacity up with it. And, and and that's the reason why we we have a housing crisis as well because we didn't. The the housing issue didn't respond to the same. So so level so of basically, government after government, minister after minister, Department of Health after Department of Health, and I include your party, Fianna Fáil, Labour, everybody who's set foot around the government table in the last thirty years, have all got this wrong. No, you see, one of the problems with, with health is that health doesn't respond to the demands as fast as what it should be. You know, you take, say, for instance, how long have we been talking about, uh, you know, any new facility? The Children's Hospital has been discussed for 30 years. We had planning uh, mm. in the matter side, then that was turned down. So there was a, a, a delay of eight, nine years as a result. And this is the problem that I have now about Slantecare and Rish, the rollout of the electric hospital for Cork. What, is, what we're talking about is not what we want. You take, say, for instance, the South Infirmary, uh, Stoke Victoria University Hospital. Part of that was built in 1754. And, you know, we've moved on a long way from 1754, but we still have a facility in there where we're trying to provide care in outdated facilities. And unless we build a new elective hospital for Cork, then we'll have to continue to use it. Oh, I know. Well, we, 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 we've had that discussion, and I know yeah. you're, you're, you're very concerned with the plans that Slauncher Care has for Cork, and, and we, we discussed that before on the programme. But the, the, stark statistic, the, the stark statistic in front oh, yeah. of me says that from 19, in 1980, we had 425 beds per hundred, acute beds per 100,000 population. In 2010 we had 256. I don't have a 2020 figure but it doesn't seem to be going any way up because in 2014 uh, it was 240. So until we start getting more acute beds in there and the staff to staff them, we might as well be howling at the wind. But but you see your biggest problem at the moment with the hospitals with the Mercy to South Infirmary, CUH, they're at capacity in relation to beds that they have at the moment. We, you know, you can't put any more beds in and of course with COVID then in fact you've been in some situations mm-hmm. where you've had to reduce beds. Yeah. So the only way of dealing with that capacity shortage is building a new elective hospital. There is no other way around it. Yeah. You can do all the clinics you want, but unless you have capacity to put the beds in, yeah. you cannot deal with it. Now, now Dr. Around. John was also talking about community care and people being treated in their own homes and in their own community, and, and, and that's a very good way for the system to work. But you kind of need the acute urgent beds to keep moving along with the population as well. Yeah, you do, but you, what you need to make sure is that you have the backup support out there in the community, and that's the biggest challenge we're now going to have, and particularly in rural areas, for instance, is trying to get home care providers. I've heard of one case uh, about 15 miles from the city where they were offered 12 hours of home care per week, but the HSE, Bluebird, or Home Instead could not get anyone to provide the care that was required. And that's another challenge that we're going to have to deal with as well, is having sufficient number mm. of home carers. And if you've seen some of the private home care providers now are offering to train a huge number of new people to mm. provide that service, and that's what we need as well. Colm, you have a bit more, to be fair to you, you have a bit more experience than the average public rep in, in, in terms of, of health. You've been involved in health act- activism within politics for a long time and when you were an MEP I think you served on the health committee over there so so you know the score here but the score is simply that successive governments have caused this to happen that's what my listeners say every time this comes up I think there is no point in walking away from that issue that is the reality and of course the biggest problem that we had and from 2009 
on, there was a huge effort to cut back on staff and cut back on services because budgetary requirements came into play. We've now gone to a situation, for instance, in the in the first seven months of this year, 65% of all money spent was spent on either social welfare or on uh, health. So it's now taking up 65% of the budget between social welfare support and healthcare. And say the other 13 government departments are sharing 35% of the budget. And that's the challenge we will have into the immediate future is we have to put more money in, we have to put more services in, and we cannot like this whole delaying process. Well, it, it can, it also can take years for something to happen. Colm, I'll leave it there with you and thank you for being with us on the Opinion Line for the GLTD, Colm Burke. The, the point he makes about the Children's Hospital and we know what kind of a cluster mess that is, that's illustrative though. Thanks, Colm. That's illustrative of the situation. Nothing happens quickly here. Look at China. When they had... The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. The outbreak in Wuhan. They built a temporary hospital in a week. <laughs> this is the truth. They built a temporary hospital in a week and were able to start a second one. It takes us years to even think. Something else that isn't happening at the moment, and very quickly, Fergal, before I go to the break here, something else that isn't helping at the moment is the situation in Bantry. And I know that the Irish Nursing and Midwives Organisation has been across this one. Liam Conway is their industrial relations officer. Liam, good morning. Good morning. And, and the situation in COH is not being helped by the ongoing debacle in Bantry. No, absolutely not. And I think you, if you've seen it spill over over the last few days of patients being referred to the likes of COH, the Mercy and uh, University Hospital of Kerry due to the um, lack of capacity for admissions in Bantry. I'm glad to say that today that the um, Bantry will be opening up again for admissions as uh, consultant cover has been um, found. Um, the HC confirmed that to us yesterday. But I suppose, look, um, just listening to some of the the, the, the callers there as well, um, PJ, I suppose there's just big concerns there in terms of the ele- the elective hospital is one facet. It's not the solution to the overcrowding problem. Um, like I suppose the GP touched on the the, the population and the, you know the, the the vast volumes and demand now in the services. So um, the, the big concern really at the moment is um, the need for discharge facilities. So delayed discharge is a big problem, and that's causing the backlog in, in the emergency departments here in the city uh, because there's simply not enough beds to be admitted to. Um, so yes, there's a need for investment as personal care in the community and for home care supports 
CIT services, which is your home IV antibiotics, which can be provided as well. Mm. Uh, there's also been pilots and such as virtual wards, which is a multidisciplinary effort from many uh, teams as well. Um, so there's, there's a lot of options, but there is a lot of issues in the HSE, and we called yesterday for an independent review that um, really that, that, that there needs to be a better plan in place for the winter. So, for example, the Mercy University Hospital, in terms of their winter plan, it's, it's closing some of their units internally to allow for additional capacity. Well, there's the point, um, you see. Why should they have to close stuff just to cope with winter? I mean, here we are on the 11th of August, and normally this is a conversation I'd start having in October. So by the time we get to October, we're going to be banjaxed altogether. I can be very confident in saying to you, looking at the weather out there t- today as well, it suits the mood of our members inside the emergency departments and across the hospitals in Cork. Winter has arrived already in August, um, and we see that with the figures. These are figures we traditionally see, you know, October, November onwards. Um, and it, look, this this is an absolute crisis, and you have the combined factor then of COVID nineteen. Yeah, how much of a role is COVID playing in this, Liam? Because the, you know, p- politically, people would like us to believe, well, if we didn't have COVID to deal with, we wouldn't be in this mess. How true is that? Well, I think look, there there is a, there has to be some contributing factors of COVID nineteen as well, and that that maybe with delayed referrals and delayed assessments delayed appointments over the over the pandemic. There's no two ways about that and, and GPs will be able to, to tell you that as well from their own experience. But I suppose our, our members are have to raise concerns uh, in particular around um, the high volume of GP referrals where patients haven't been seen by their GP yet. The significant wait times uh, and, and they're simply disgraceful, the significant wait times to be seen um, in the emergency rooms at the moment because there's simply not enough space. And we have to remember as well that the, these are workplaces and, um, you know, the, we're simply saying that the workplaces aren't safe from a COVID-19 perspective yeah. because of these overcrowded environments. And if the workplace isn't safe, it's not safe for patients. There's, there's um, legislation there from 2005 that governs all of that. I listened to a discussion on uh, British radio the other night, a late night phone in, and this woman rang the programme apoplectic with fury. She was spitting bullets down the phone because she'd brought her father-in-law to an emergency department and it took him three and a half hours to be seen and I'm thinking they get angry over that you know it could be yeah. two days here yeah no it, it's absolutely look at every patient should be triaged when they come in the door within 15 minutes um, when they arrive in the emergency department unfortunately what's happening at the moment is um, while that service is being provided it's taking a long time for patients to be actually seen by a, a medical the medical team. Or, or oh yeah, you get seen in triage practice. in fairness. The last time I had occasion to bring myself to hospital, which is a few years ago now, I was seen by triage within 25, 30 minutes and, and I was put on a, a priority. But I, was, I then sat there for about seven hours till I was seen. Yeah, I think, look, we have to look at this from a pragmatic approach here for this winter. Um, there isn't going to be a hospital built in the coming couple of months. So we have to be looking at look the utilisation of the fine hospitals that are here in, in the private sector in Cork. Yeah. So there is elective work being um, uh, procured out into the private uh, hospitals since COVID-19. But we need to be looking at the capacity in the private hospitals yeah. because simply yeah. the, the overcrowding is not acceptable for anyone here in, in the city. It was amazing how quickly stuff. at the start of COVID we were able to do a deal to get private capacity. Is it, should, should it be done again now with winter in mind? 
Well, I think, look, absolutely. And I think you have to look at it. There has to be an independent uh, review of what's going on here in Cork because the overcrowding is getting worse, right? And simply throwing an extra 100 beds, uh, which they done at Limerick, didn't actually help the problem above. The overcrowding has still continued in Limerick and it still tends to be the worst on a daily basis. So you have to look at what what is the HSE doing and what can be done better. And I think, look, as it currently stands, the system isn't working. Um, delayed discharges are a massive problem and a pra- pragmatic um, day-to-day challenge for hospital management. And then you have then the lack of capacity. So, for example, what is desperately needed here in the city is a step-down facility, a rehabilitation yeah. unit. That's yeah. what should be really in the pipeline. For people well. who are better but not well enough to go home can be moved for, for a few days or a week. Liam, I'm going to leave it there because we're really busy with this one this morning. Thanks very much. Liam Conway, uh, Industrial Relations Officer with the Irish Nursing and Midwives Organisation. Another organisation that's been pointing to this and shouting about this for years. Here we are talking on the 11th of August about something that we would normally start to hear about in October. So, to, to quote Game of Thrones, winter is coming. Winter is here. If you look over the ministers of health we've had, we've had Fianna Fáil ministers. Among them would have been, say, Brian Cowan in his day. We currently have Stephen Donnelly. Oh, we've had Fine Gael ministers. Simon Harris was there and and, and James Riley was there, he, a doctor himself. And Leo Varadkar, another doctor, was Minister for Health. Go back in the day. Michal Martin was Michal Martin? He was. Michal Martin was Minister for Health, the one who brought in the smoking ban. Go back further again, you find Mary Harney, PD, and then Independent. She was Minister for Health. None of them have managed to get a handle on this. So, uh, Sinn Féin's Thomas Gould, what would you do different? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Well, I tell you, though, PJ, I was just listening to uh, the Fianna Gael um, TD, Colin Burke, who's their spokesperson on health. And I don't know, am I living in the twilight zone, but does Colin not realise that he's in government and that Fianna Gael have been government for 10 years and for him to come and the radio was used this morning saying that they need more investment. It's Fianna Gael's fault that we're in the position we're in. Well, they've it's all been at it, like, let's face it. They've all been at it. Well, PJ, all except yourself. You haven't had to go off it. Yes, but they're coming on the radio too this morning, PJ, right? We've known that the CUH is going from crisis to crisis every year. And as you made a point earlier, we're here now in August talking about a crisis that normally we don't hear about until October. And the reason for that is a lack of investment. And mm. it's seen the year have been government for 10 years. So, so what would you do, different? One point but, that Colin Burke did, did make is even if you had investment tomorrow, even if you ploughed the money in tomorrow, and I am paraphrasing, like... Stuff like the children's hospital taking forever to build. And if you have this great big new greenfield site hospital that we need in Cork, like it won't be there at Christmas or next Christmas for that matter. So what can you do in the immediate term? Well, you see, Peter, you do a combination of things. Number one, you have to plan for the future, right? And for 20 years, we've been promised an extra hospital in Cork. Mm-hmm. No, this wasn't something that I came up with. This is something that... Dr. John Higgins, in his, in his report a number of years ago on reconfiguration, yeah. and that's not today nor yesterday nor the day before. I remember having that report. It's a good 10 years ago, if not longer. John Higgins said there needs to be another hospital. So we've been, we need that hospital, the government, the province of staff hospital, and this year, uh, recently, the government announced 250,000 towards... Uh, looking at that hospital, like this is a joke. 
in relation to COP. And this goes down to the way that COP is being treated in relation to government investment and government And I'm spending. saying the people of Galway now and the people of Roscommon and the people of Tipperary and the people of Limerick and Donegal and Sligo and you name it would, would all be saying the same thing. So let, let's not, let's no, not no, do a geography no, thing no, here. PJ, no, 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 let's say PJ. Because geography is just politics, yeah. No, no, it's not politics. This is a report that you just mentioned that said that COP is in urgent need. Now, this report is well over 10 years old, if not yes. 20, right? Fair so point. if we needed this hospital for 10 years and Fine Gael didn't, Fine Gael were in power that whole 10 years. Cullen Burke was part of a party that was in government for the 10 years that never delivered. So the first point is that should be delivered immediately. Yeah. That they should say that announcement should be given, the investment should be put there, and the site should be located somewhere on the north side while we're talking about it, because there's a complete lack of hospitals compared to north. So, your, your, man, your man is David Cullinan, isn't it? Let, let's put you guys yeah. in government tomorrow. What would you do? Well, what we would do then, like, we would put investment in where it needs to be. Now, unfortunately, I've been out to see you here to last with my own medical conditions over the last two years, right? And this pressure the staff are under oh, yeah. the hospitals, the Mercy and the CUH. They need additional resources, additional staff, nurses, beds. So for the hospitals that we do have, we have to put the funding in place to give them what they need to deliver the services. Because I'm out there, PJ, and you mentioned yourself you were out there. That's a few years ago now, to be honest. This, the staff, are, the work they're doing, Brilliant. and they've gone through the COVID. Brilliant. And it hasn't been recognised. And, like, you had a, a chap on there earlier, Liam, talking about what happened in Bantry. Like, nurses are, are just giving up on, this, on the health service here because the pressure of the under. You want to be able to say to them is, listen, we hear what you're saying. We're going to put in more nurses, more doctors, more consultants, because... There are hundreds of places that are, that are empty right now this mm. minute mm. because people won't work under these conditions. So what we're saying is what David Cullinan has said is the first thing we would do, just one simple thing we would do, we would bring on board 100 additional acute beds immediately, right? No, that would be a start. But by immediately, when do you mean? He means straight away. Tomorrow, next week, next month, six months, 12 months? No, that means immediately we would say to the, the hospitals, put in additional beds, put in additional staff, put in additional nurses and doctors. That's in our budget by, proposal. By Christmas? That we put in. Oh, yes. We put that in. Where were they coming from? What do you mean? We would hire them. But you have to have the money and you have to have the commitment by the department to do it. And what we would say to the department in our budget, and all of this is completely costed. So, like, if people say, where are you getting the money from? We have costed that and mm. it's in our budget for 2000 The problem is, you see, there's plain loads of nurses gone to Australia. There's plain loads of nurses gone to the UK. At the start of the pandemic, we asked them to come back and, and very few of them did. Uh, well, that's no PJ. There was thousands of people volunteered to go back in when they were, when the government put out the call for Ireland. And people contacted my office to say that they were willing. I know one lady who was willing to give up her job. Uh, she's working in the private sector because she has skills that could have been done with in the HSC. And she volunteered. And I know another guy who done the same contact my office. And they never got a call. Back. Yeah, that's true, so true, Tom. Sense. You're right there. You're absolutely right. So, like, there right are there. thousands of people wanting to help out. And PJ, there's nurses coming out. 
Like you look at, they never even paid them. Student nurses went into the hospitals in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, and I spoke and to a few. I, have, I spoke to a few of them. That was another issue. Now, caller says here, beds are not the issue. It's staffing. They can't get the nurses. And one of the arguments commonly made is the nurses are coming straight out of school, straight out of college, getting on a plane out of here. Well, Peter, if you were a nurse coming finishing college now, what they're looking for is a contract that they will go into work. Not these temporary contracts. Not these. There's no guarantee for nurses when they come out of college. What we are saying is every nurse that comes out of college should be given a job in the HSE. A guaranteed job so that they for how long? when they finish college. But Peter, would you make them permanent straight away? We, you, you would do. You would hire them straight away in a full-time contract. They would go through their normal procedures like everyone else would go through right. before before they made full-time. But what we do know, PJ, is that we're short hundreds, if not thousands, of staff at the moment. Yeah, we are, and so short that, loads of consultants and loads of doctors. Here's one of the things, Thomas, and I'll let you go with this one. Here's one of the things that really grinds my gears about when an important job comes up in the HSE. So let's imagine I'm a consultant, right? consultant bluffer like I am here let's imagine right I'm a consultant right and I tell the uh, the hospital where I'm working okay guys I am moving on um, I'm going to Glasgow to be a bluffer there and I'm handing in my notice and I'll finish up on the 31st of December when do they advertise my post Tom? Oh, please, yes. I when do they advertise my post? Do, tell listeners because listeners won't believe me Yes. 1st of January isn't it Tom? Yes, they should advertise it immediately. The day I hand in and my notice, didn't they? Please, uh, that goes to the problem of the whole bureaucracy. Is the unions the don't want that government. happening. No, who said that? You can't advertise a post while the person is still in it. Please, uh, <laughs> and the unions have all agreed to that. But th- that's government bureaucracy and red tape. What we should have is rolling hiring, rolling interviews. They should be running 24... 20- 12 months of the year, 52 weeks of the year, the minute staff either leave, retire, because... And in their notice. Because you have to oh, give not- a, a considerable amount of notice if you're in, in a job like a consultant. You've got to give several months' notice. But you see, Peter, this is the problem with the system. And can I say like this down in Bantry, when someone was coming up to retirement, they knew the man Peter, was going to be retiring. And when did they advertise the post? So. Peter, my own daughter... Was, was under a consultant who retired three years ago. And when we contacted the HSC to see who was taking off my daughter's position in Cork, they had no one. Yeah. No one. So I know exactly what's happening with the, with the procurement and hiring. And we, the only person we could see is a person in Dublin. Now, this was a very specialist consultant position that they had in Cork. And when that chap retired, which he was entitled to do, he gave the required notice. They still had no one in place. And that goes to the heart of the problem with the HSE. The bureaucracy and the red tape that the government had allowed in. What we need is the ability to hire people immediately. What we don't do, and the problem here, and I listen to Colin Buck and Fianna Fáil people coming and telling us what's wrong. The, problem, the reason we have problems is DNA of these problems. What Sinn Féin are trying to do, we're trying to be more flexible, mm. give more autonomy, and listen to the doctors okay. and nurses because no. they are on the front line. All right, I'm, I'm moving on because we're busy. Thomas, thank you very much. That's uh, uh, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central, Thomas Gould. Cork's 96 FM. 
the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.